Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, and I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro. We have a special episode lined up for you today, and I have a conversation with David Cerf. He is the Chief Data Evangelist at Growl Data. And uh, David, welcome to the Gumbo. How are you today? I'm excellent. Thank you. Super fantastic to have you on. Uh, first and foremost, can you explain to the audience what Growl Data is and what do you do there? My role is uh, helping Growl expand out of their roots, which has really been in Europe. Uh, Grau Data has been uh, around in one form or another for almost 40 years. So Herbert Grau, who was the founder, uh, created the original Grau Data, which was bought by EMAS, which was then acquired by ADIC, which became part of Quantum. And what, what Grau originally made were the big... Uh, data, or excuse me, uh, the big tape libraries, the big silos. So back in the day, it was him and storage tech, and then the market kind of evolved from there. So they have a long legacy in you know, data protection and tape. Over time, Herbert actually created a, a new version of Grau Data, which became software only. So that's been about 20 years. And, um, and Grau Data focuses on uh, data protection, uh, data management solutions. So like compliant archiving, we do have an archive uh, object to tape solution. We have a data protection solution. So we have a suite of things that, that leverage our pedigree around big data management. And my role there is to help get the word out and work with customers and expand expand our footprint. Okay, awesome. And I know right before we started recording, you were, were sharing some very flowery terminology and your, your rich history, some of the companies that, that you've been with and uh, some business transactions and deals and things and so forth. So uh, really feel fortunate to have you on the show. And I want to tap your brain around overall data protection and making sure that uh, our listeners are able to secure their environments and that they are able to wrap their arms around getting control of their data because data is everywhere. It's distributed um, across on-premises environments. You mentioned tape a little bit ago. Uh, And also it's in the cloud whether it's public, whether it's private, multi, hybrid, all these different terminologies, et cetera. And then you have uh, things out there like bad actors trying to get access to your data with things like ransomware. So specifically in a Windows environment, though, I want to get your opinion on just the hardening of these different types of Windows, especially repositories, et cetera, and how you can use an application firewall that, you know, might create what's called a zero trust environment. You know, Windows Windows is really where most of the challenges are today. There are some great solutions that they themselves have integrated ways to uh, protect and harden environments. But when you, you know, if you're a business, you may have multiple different solutions and managing all that is pretty complex these days. And keeping up with the problems with inside, uh, how do you, how do you, uh, ensure that particularly Windows is protected is uh, something that Grau Data has been doing for quite some time. We actually developed some technology back almost 20 years ago around the Windows Mini uh, filter driver, 
This is a pretty complex piece of technology. I think many companies tried to play with it. And we, for those that know what I'm talking about, know what the blue screen of death looked like. And that came from these early on that we're still trying to figure out what to do with it. Most of those companies have gone out of business, but Grau is one of the few that really has mastered this. And we've uh, used that technology in a couple of our products, uh, our compliant archive solution as one example, where we you know, have a really stringent requirement around a data set. And we, we've actually uh, pulled some of that technology out and made it a little lighter, leaner, to where we can uh, add that to uh, any Windows, or almost any Windows backup environment to harden it. And so what it looks like is it looks like an application firewall, like you were saying, which can block everything and allow only a whitelisted, uh, trusted set of applications. So if you think about it, is you, you, you deny all, which is zero trust, and only allow that specific application that can come and access the Windows uh, backup repository then. And so this is a great way to ensure that any unauthorized process could be blocked. So even if you had a ransomware uh, infection, because of the way the, the technology works, it would still ensure that you can't encrypt or delete or modify those files. And so this is really cool because we have customers that have maybe multiple different types of vendors. They have vendor A and then a vendor B, and they can apply this to where they, they harden that and, and, and immediately they now can meet ransomware protection that is uh, becoming more difficult. I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware that it's pretty darn hard now to get ransomware insurance. That was a default way a company would go about this, right? They'd be saying, hey, you know, we're hacked, you know, we'll pay it and get it back. But, you know, there are two problems there. One is ransomware insurance is getting more difficult to get. Uh, two is that you pay the ransomware. Companies are finding that they cannot recover their data. So your last line of defense is the backup. And so you, regardless of what you have on your network protection and your other third-party applications for protection, and you know we, every company should have layered approach to data protection. But it, when all that stuff fails, because it's going to, right? It's, you know, they're going to get in one way or another. The backup is the key. And that's exactly where this works is it hardens that backup to ensure that you can at least read the backup if you're hacked. Yeah, and, and maybe we can dive into ransomware a, a little little more later on down the road here. But you, you mentioned metadata, and I don't have lots of conversations around metadata, and it's super important, especially in today's environments, because metadata is data about the data. So knowing exactly where all the data is in your environment and how to get to it. So if you happen to be, let's say, in the SaaS application Somewhere you can point, click, maybe do a restore, and that product knows exactly where to retrieve that data from, whether it's you know in the cloud or it's it's somewhere else. So just from your perspective though, how how important is keeping that that metadata safe and secure and maybe even having the ability to tap into that that metadata, David? Well, I, I think under the covers of most applications, they're using some form of metadata. Most of that metadata is what would be considered standard metadata. <clears throat> and if you're, if you're doing something around storage, like moving file A to, to a location B, um, you're using metadata in your HSMs, so hierarchical storage management uses it, data movers use it, any type of data classification, um, even compliance and audit. Metadata is critical. So when we 
when we talk about metadata, we're talking about, you know, in the classic sense, the POSIX file system metadata, right? Age of file, who owned it. And, and um, I'm not sure it's so much about protection because if you're, if you're protecting your data, you're, you're, the metadata kind of goes along for the ride. What we're seeing where metadata evolution is occurring right now is in what's being driven by um, more um, the, the requirement by customers to increase their analytic capability. Right to increase application performance, more granularity to provide a better uh, workflow for the user. Whether that's a, a better understanding of what is the type of data I have in my storage, um, or more granular rules and the policies. This is where it becomes really critical, and it's also uh, driving what um, is is needed for artificial intelligence and machine learning and deeper business intelligence. So when you think of the tools that are out there today that you know, come from data warehousing, data lakes, you know, data lake houses, all of this today has been traditionally structured data and they have a need for unstructured. So unstructured is driving this forward, the, the, you know, the tip of the spear of what we're seeing around the way we can use our data is coming out of the metadata. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And I know you um, you didn't think I was going to ask you a question about chat GPT because you mentioned AI and machine learning and all the hype and everything around automated. What is it? Generative AI, I think is what they're calling it. It's uh, it's super hot right now. So have you used chat GPT? And if so, what cool things have you done with it? Uh, well, personally, I use it to help correct all my writing because it's probably the single best, you know, <laughs> way to write. Okay, yeah, yeah. But um, we we are we've integrated uh, ChatGPT. It's part of our roadmap of what we're doing around uh, metadata. What's what's really cool about the the way we can you can leverage it from a plugin perspective is the the compute component, right? So uh, we tie that back to the metadata extraction. So we we have a, a product called Metadata Hub. And what it's doing is it's it's extracting not just the the standard metadata, but it's extracting the embedded metadata. This is this is actually the data uh, from the application. So whether it's a, a document, which I think we can all relate to, is what's in the document. The document is about you know uh, you know politics or something like that, and you want to pull those up as metadata tags. But that's pretty straightforward. Where it's really interesting is what we're doing in scientific research. So think of NASA and the Hubble and the Webb telescopes, right? The James Webb telescope. These guys have pictures <clears throat> that they're generating that has an unbelievable amount of metadata. And that metadata becomes really important to the user to understand more about uh, the content itself. So when you can combine that content with things like ChatGPT and AI tools, you can now ask really, really interesting questions and leverage the compute against those data sets. And those data sets can be really large. Uh, let me give you two contexts of scale. Depending on the file type you have, and you could have anywhere from hundreds of metadata tags into tens of thousands of metadata tags. So if you take your iPhone and you take a picture and you go look at the metadata just from the picture, you're gonna have lots of information, not just the data was taken, and then you probably today have the GPS that tells you where it was taken. But you're going to get the aperture and the angles and all these other things that are, these are metadata tags. And so just your phone is generating metadata. When you think of microscopy for cancer research and genomics, these tools could be generating 20,000 metadata fragments per file. 
And these type of users can have millions to billions of files. So that's a lot of data. And so if you now want to start to create really interesting queries, <clears throat> so I'm a user and I have a very big data set, and I want to start to ask really interesting questions about, hey, tell me, you know, show me some patterns. Let me, let me look at pattern recognition, or let me ask a complex query around the user data sets. Connecting metadata sources back into these AI tools really becomes cool for the user. And so that's where we could see it. And that could be any vertical. That can go across life sciences, like I mentioned, or up into um, scientific research, but also manufacturing. Just think about uh, automotive. <clears throat> so cars that are, we're now seeing autonomous. Well, those autonomous cars have unbelievable number of sensors on a car. And all of them are generating data. And all that data is being looked at. And that's all metadata, right? And so they're looking at is what's happening when, where, and how. And you need that metadata. So you put that, the, you, what's critical is the extraction of the metadata. I got to get it. I've got to put it into a format that can be connected to a, the tool. And if that tool is something like ChatGPT, then, you know, the world is your oyster. You now have all the data with really powerful compute. You can ask some cool stuff. Yeah, we're, we're in exciting times right now just with, you know, technology like chat gpt and and you're starting to see more and more companies use these plugins now especially to the chat gpt plugins i think i heard something about databricks using it to create something microsoft created a cyber tool or something to plug into uh, some of their products to help cybersecurity professionals um, scan their environments get more information about uh, what's secure what's not secure etc and so you're going to hear more and more of these different stories about how everyone is starting to leverage uh, AGI and generative AI, et cetera. So a uh, super exciting space. And it uh, sounds like you guys are also doing some super exciting things as well. And you're not going to miss the bandwagon. So good luck there and good job. <clears throat> we should think of these as tools like you're implying. What, what, what gets in the news is this concept that this thing, is, that, that the AI is going to replace something. You know, really, they're just very sophisticated you know, a policy engine and, and, you know, it has a large data store. And so it has, a, you know, a lot of compute nodes so it could do something incredibly quick. So the responsiveness is exciting to the user, right? We could log into our browser and type a question. You're like, whoa, look at all that. Well, that's just because, you know, they have a, they have a lot of uh, compute. Um, but the, it's the aggregate of the information that's really amazing, right? It's that source that you can now go to as a reference and you can ask a question. But it's only as smart as the information it can capture, right? And then it's only as capable as the analytic capability that's applied to it. So as those continue to expand, I, I, really they're kind of just like a service. You know, if we think of the cloud, originally this cloud was this mystic thing. And I think we now start to understand the word cloud is a catch-all. And it's very specific of how do you want to use it. I think that's what we're really starting to you know, we're seeing it today in the press around AI is, you know, it's this catch-all and it's mysterious because not everyone's really sure of the structure, but it's it's just a tool that we can use well and integrate to accelerate applications and, and make things simpler for the user. Yeah, that's uh, super exciting. And you, you have to be a little bit careful if you're using ChatGPT and you're like pasting in information that's proprietary because it's collecting the data and it, that data is sitting stored uh, within that large language model on the back end. I also heard some things about there there was a leak or people are able to get access to the information that's sitting publicly in these large language models, these LLMs. So that's 
probably why it's important to, to have a plug in to have your own data in house, have that secure from your from that perspective. So, yeah, may I don't know if we talked a little bit too much about AI, but I love having this conversation. Uh, but one thing I do want to get your opinion on is just you know, companies staying compliant uh, with all of these different and changing, increasing laws and regulations and. Uh, they also are tapped with keeping, you know, and governing all of this data. For, from your perspective, what what are some of the most important things just from complying with some of these regulations as it pertains to storing data, archiving data, retaining data, deleting it? I mean, just the overall flow in management of data hygiene. Well, definitely having a good you know, set of policies within the company is the place to start because I, I think that that's where a lot of companies, uh, especially if they're large, can get tripped up is that they, the complexity that you might have that's geographical, right? So European GDPR might be, you know, very different than what you're seeing in another country. And uh, and so making sure that there's clarity uh, because what we, what we find is we, we end up getting, creating these silos. And so you'll either stop the business because you can't get the data shared, right? So data from a source may not be shareable due to some type of architecture within the company. So having rules really clear for the at the user level uh, and and based on what the compliance looks like um, is the best place to start. Um, and the second the second part would then be follow really just good data protection rules too, because um, part of part of compliance is is uh, definitely ensuring that the data is. Uh, protected and secured to meet the requirement. So if you have a delete, for example, I have to delete files at seven years in one day, uh, making sure that your systems can, you know, keep up with that and uh, meet those, uh, meet the rules. So the rules are defined, number one, two, that the systems can execute and perform the way you expect them to. And then three, that they're protected in a way that um, if you have failures, et cetera, um, that you follow really good best practice uh, so, like backup examples are like three, two, one, right? Three copies, you know, two locations, one's offsite guaranteed. Uh, those type of things are helpful. Um, so, those I think I think the the best practices have been well defined. I think it's the execution that's pretty tough because we have really complex infrastructures, and having things integrate and work well across vendor products. Th- those are some of the challenges. Okay, and maybe one one or two more questions, and you you can't cannot have a conversation about cost nowadays, especially with, you know, all of the cost containment going on. Layoffs are happening literally everywhere, almost every week. Oh, 6%, 7% here, large companies, small, medium, et cetera. It's just, you know, the, the way of life right now. Uh, one thing I do want to ask is what type of conversations are you having as the chief data evangelist with, let's say, a CISO or CIO overall around cost and total cost of ownership and cost containment, et cetera? You know, I, I think it, uh, we've been through these IT-related cycles. So these are now pretty pretty common for most people is that they've been through one, you know, the up and the down. Um, mm-hmm. No question that in IT, it's always about cost reduction. There's um, Unless you're yeah. on the application side where money's still being spent because on the application side, it's typically business value, right? It's time to business decision or time to market or time to something. And so you're, you're willing to spend up in the primary application space because that's what drives your business revenue. The IT side is a cost side. So I, I, I hear two different uh, discussions. On the IT side, 
in cost reduction, <clears throat> what's interesting is it tape doesn't seem to go away, right? When you reach a particular scale, uh, and, I, and by the way, I was listening to your one of your interviews, the guy who did, founded Basecamp, and he had a really great comment about cloud, right? Is that we're seeing repatriation. People are starting to wake up to the fact is that, wait a minute, this gets really expensive. And so we're seeing uh, repatriation of data uh, and storage and other things coming back on premise because for long-term retention, those are more cost-effective and tape then becomes part of the equation when you're at a certain data size, nothing's cheaper. And if anyone wants to argue about that discussion, just go ask the hyperscalers, right? Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, what their lowest cost storage tier is. And it's tape, right? Every one of them has tape. So when somebody says that you can't beat the low cost of tape or cloud is cheaper than tape, it's absolutely can't be because tape is the back-end infrastructure in those. So tape becomes this uh, ongoing component in, in real cost reduction for large data repositories. So And then re repatriation is driving that on-premise. In the application space, uh, what's really interesting is accelerating time to business value. And to do that, they want better, faster tools. And that's where we see workflows that are um, you know, looking to be more granular. So today we do something and, and our look, the tool's capability is limited only because the inputs cannot get more granular. And as they can drive this into something that's more specific and faster, it's not just more compute. You don't just throw more hardware at the problem. You have to have the right data in that in, in the equation for it to create those outputs and you can then power the teams you know to get faster results and so that actually comes back to that metadata which is the ability now to get more transparency more visibility that you can feed into the application space more better information right more data and and better use of that data to drive more granular analytics and get to faster outcomes. Awesome, awesome. And I am looking at quite a few books. I have my stack of books here on display. I'm sure someone's going to pause, zoom in to see, hey, what what is Demetrius reading? Yeah, it's All right. I, I put the good books right there for you. So no, no need to worry. <laughs> so David, what, what are you reading? What's on what's on your on your desk or what's on your nightstand or what are you reading in your phone or something? You know, and, and I'm going to grab it because I'm a, I'm a big audible guy and I typically do okay. a couple books at a time. But um, I just finished a I, and I actually have a published book list that I do up on mm. my LinkedIn. So I, okay. I give a, I try to do it once a month. I'm not so uh, good about uh, keeping that up to date. But um, I did finish what's an amazing one, uh, a book on Lincoln, which was And There Was Light. Really interesting to see kind of what happened, you know, and in, in, uh, what was going on. But I'm a big political science guy. So uh, there was another okay. book I just finished called Operation Paperclip, which was Ooh, unbelievable. I that this one. is the story of what happened after the Second World War and bringing out the scientists as the Soviet Union and America were fighting to get you know, the technology out of Germany. And uh, that was pretty amazing. So um, that, those are those are those are typically the type of things I, I'm reading. And some people say that that Operation Paperclip goes kind of on the conspiracy theory angle because it gets so, so deep about, oh, yeah, this this is what was happening behind the scenes from, you know, 
documents that were unclassified, et cetera. So, well, they did unclass it. You know, I think through the 50s and 60s, they really did cover a lot of it up because, you know, you didn't want a guy that, you know, you brought in to run your space program who was a known Nazi. And that that wasn't good for, for, for the PR. Um, and so they did, they were able to cover a lot of this up and under the freedom of information act, they were able to uncover. And I think it's amazing to just see, you know, you know, it was a different time in a different place and people were trying to, you know, make different type of decisions. It was America versus communism. And, you know, they would go to a lot of extents and uh, exceptions. So it's interesting to see that repainted. What's interesting to, to, to apply though is apply that to now is how much of that type of similar thought is still going on. You know, we just have the, the leaks uh, over the last couple days out of the, the Department of Defense leaks. You know, I, I don't think anything's really changed. Just the names have changed, right? Absolutely. Nothing's new under the, under the cloud. No, the sun. Under the sun, <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, uh, David, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to drop us some insight. Um, shout outs. Anything you want to send the Gumbo listeners to check out or... Uh, follow you maybe well I, I think some of by the way i think some of your pieces were great and, and coming into the show i went back to listen to them as i mentioned that some really you've done some really uh, great interviews and interesting guys so I, I would certainly recommend people go back and check out some of your your library on a few items on us you know we're we're really excited because you know as i started to say you know growl we've kind of been in europe and really uh you know geographically uh, limited in just because of the type of products we had in the past. And we're pretty excited about what we're driving now. So, you know, um, I welcome anybody who wants to talk further specifically about some of the things I've shared. Um, you, know, you can go to growdata.com and grow is G-R-A-U data.com. Uh, you can check me out on LinkedIn under David Surf um, and, uh, you know, reach out to me there and, and just happy to have interesting conversations about, how do we help bring better solutions into the market? I'm, I'm always excited about those type of discussions. Yeah, and it's not David Surf like you're so surfing. It's C-E-R-F, right. by the right. way. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Just want to let you know that. I appreciate that. Thanks for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, also just a, a final shout out as well. We do have our Backup and Recovery Professionals LinkedIn group. Uh, it has over 25,000 professional members ranging from security, storage, backup and recovery, all different levels from the C-suite all the way down to just your your regular old administrator or engineer, which which hold a lot of value these, these days. Um, so please go out, check the group out, and also go to Apple and leave a review. We're on Apple Podcast. Uh, that's Data Protection Gumbo as well so uh david once again thank you again for being a guest on the show and uh everyone out there stay secure and back up often